Maybe you've heard about the four-day work week. Maybe you dream about the four-day work week. I got to wondering, what is it actually like to work a four-day work week? And what is it like to create one? How do you actually take a company and make it operate only four days of the week? I was so curious that I just started calling people and recording the conversations, and the result is an episode of my other podcast, Build for Tomorrow. Build for Tomorrow is a show about the smartest solutions to our most misunderstood problems, and unlike problem solvers, it isn't a interview show per se. Instead, what I do is I go out, I spend about a month researching something, and then produce like an audio documentary of it. And so different vibe, different feel, but something that Problem Solvers listeners would really love, I am sure. So if you're not listening to Build for Tomorrow, please go check it out. But now I'm just going to make it easy for you and play the four-day workweek episode of Build for Tomorrow right here on Problem Solvers. That is what we're doing today, and it starts right now. This is Build for Tomorrow, a podcast about the smartest solutions to our most misunderstood problems. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, and in each episode, I take something that seems concerning or confusing today and figure out where it came from, what important things we're missing, and how we can create more opportunity tomorrow. Most of us work Monday to Friday, but have you ever wondered why we do this? I will admit that for me, this is such a basic fact of life that it never occurred to me to wonder. It's like asking why we eat three meals a day or why we sleep at night. But a funny thing happens when you start asking questions. You start to realize that more things are open to discussion than you thought. Like, okay, what if there's actually no good reason that we work Monday to Friday? And if that were the case, what would happen if we just, like, drop a day? Go from a five-day work week to a four-day work week? Maybe you've already heard about the four-day work week. I hadn't until a few months ago, but it's starting to come up a lot in conversations about how we combat the great resignation or great reconsidering or great realignment or whatever you want to call our shift in the way that we work, where a lot of people are quitting their jobs and companies are realizing that the way that we've worked does not work for everyone. I'd heard that the four-day work week was being studied, and I thought, huh, what a fascinating academic experiment. Maybe, for example, you caught news of the most famous of these studies, which took place at Microsoft in Japan. It got a lot of coverage. Microsoft says it knows the secret to higher productivity in the workplace. The software giant says it's all about less time in the office. And Microsoft Japan tested it on its employees for one month. What was the outcome? And it was overwhelmingly positive. Productivity increased by about 40%. Employee sick days and power costs both fell by about a quarter. So what do we have there? Controlled experiment, big tech company happening in Japan, which has a very particular work culture. Like many people, I heard about this and thought, yeah. That's interesting, probably impractical, but, you know, cool that they tried it out. And then this past February, my mind was like blown wide open. So, OK, uh, let me tell you what happened. I follow this investor on Twitter whose name is Brienne. Hi, I'm Brienne Kimmel. I'm the founder and managing partner of Work Life Ventures. And Work Life Ventures invests in companies that, in Brienne's words, make work more creative, flexible and human. One day in February, she tweeted this. Anyone working a four day work week open to chatting? That's it. That was the tweet. Pretty simple. But that tweet got 40 responses. And a lot of them came from people who were saying, yeah, sure, I work a four day work week and I'd be happy to talk. And reading these tweets is when I realized, oh, my God, the four day work week isn't just an academic thing anymore. This is happening. It's been happening. I later asked Brianne why she tweeted this, and she said it's because even though she's focused on the future of work, the idea of a four day work week still seemed kind of crazy, even to her. And yet... 
the skepticism that I feel today about the four-day work week is quite similar to the skepticism that I initially had about remote work. And so if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that work is changing very quickly. And so I wanted to understand for myself exactly how are companies thinking about a four-day work week and what are some of the lessons that they've learned in the short term? That's exactly what I wanted to know too. And honestly, I was also just really curious. Like, what is it like working a four-day work week while the rest of us poor bastards are stuck working Monday to Friday? So I picked a couple of the people who had replied to Brianne's tweet and I reached out to them myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and, think- and, and is that a cat? What's going on? Oh, I'm sorry. It's a rooster. I have, uh, <laughs> I have chickens <laughs> and ducks and a small farm. This is Nicole Miller. And here's what she is not. She is not a farmer, though she has a small farm, and she is also not working five days a week, though she is the full-time director of people at a software company called Buffer. This means that she has extra time to care for her children and all those animals. I felt like it's been a really great way to affirm what it means to like really control your own schedule and to have that freedom. Now, let me just back up for a second, because my interest in the four-day work week goes beyond just, you know, that it's an interesting and envious way to work. My bigger interest is this. The four-day work week is an active experiment in what happens when we question something that feels fundamental, something that we did not think was changeable, something that, in fact, seemed so unchangeable that very few people even thought of it as something to change. How many things are like this in our lives? Something we take for granted so much that we overlook the potential that it could be better. And what happens when we really take a crack at it? This is an exciting, almost limitless way to think because it is possible. I mean, look around you. Look at the things that seem so basic that they seem unquestionable, like uh, eating with a fork. We did not always eat with forks. Did you know that? In fact, for hundreds of years in Europe, the very idea of it was unthinkable. The way they thought was God has given us our hands. God gives us food. Our hands are worthy of touching that food. And you introduce something that is foreign and alien and metal, the distances from the God-given food, and that is bad. That's food historian Dara Goldstein, who I spoke to for a whole episode about forks. Just go back and find it. It would take hundreds of years and many scandals and changes to our societies and economies in order to get the fork on our table. And of course, now it's something that we can't even imagine was ever not on our table. And anyway, the point I'm trying to make here is that nothing is fixed. Everything you know has a starting point, which means it can have an ending point. And if that's not a rallying cry for us to get to work rebuilding and reinventing, then I don't know what is. So here's what's happening on this episode of the podcast. I want to know what the four-day work week looks like, which is to say, what does it look like when we rethink one of the most fundamental things about work? What do we gain and what might we lose? And is there really, truly a better way to work? That's all coming up after the break. Are you experiencing a big change in your life or in your work? Well, I've got the book for you. In fact, I wrote the book for you. It is called, just like this podcast, Build for Tomorrow, although in this case, the full title is Build for Tomorrow, an action plan for embracing change, adapting fast, and future-proofing your career. It is the result of years of me talking with entrepreneurs, learning from the smartest ones, drawing lessons and insights and exercises from them, and then also studying the history of innovation to understand why people fear change and how they ultimately come to embrace it. I've learned that we experience change in four phases. The first is panic then adaptation, then new normal, and finally we reach the phase we could not have imagined at the beginning, the moment when we realize we couldn't go back, we wouldn't 
go back. That's the final phase. Wouldn't go back. Build for Tomorrow is designed to accelerate that process to help you lessen your panic, adapt faster, define a new normal, and thrive going forward. What I've learned is that reinvention isn't about grit. It's a process anyone can learn. To adapt more quickly, you must use the power of change to your advantage, and I have written the guide to it. It comes out in September, but you can pre-order it now, and I hope that you do. Just go to jasonpfeiffer.com book. Again, that is jasonpfeiffer.com book to pre-order your copy of Build for Tomorrow. All right, we're back. So like I said, when I got curious about the four-day work week, I just started reaching out to people who said that they were living the dream. And that led me to Claudine. So my name is Claudine Adiemi. I am the founder and CEO of Career Ear. Career Ear is a careers platform that supports people from underserved communities. But this is not where Claudine began her career. She has a background in law and once worked super long hours. And I distinctly remember a period where I just started questioning everything. Wait, why on earth is is there this standard that we have to work five days out of seven? And I just couldn't find anyone able to give me an answer that I was happy with. So Claudine did this thing that we have all done in our minds, you know, where we think one day I'm going to have all the power and I will do things differently. And I decided that if I ever set up my own company... I would implement a four-day work week. And then, unlike many people who just dream of making change and then never actually do it, she did it. But wait a second. Before we hear what it's actually been like for her to build a company with a four-day work week, I want to go back to Claudine's question, because it's an important one. Why on earth, she asked, is there the standard that we work five days out of seven? And like she said, I just couldn't find anyone able to give me an answer that I was happy with. So I wanted to find someone. And I did. I'm Robert Waples and professor of economics at Wake Forest University. As it turns out, the history of work is different around the world. Many countries went through their own labor movements that pushed for an eight-hour day or 40-hour week. And the first successful one was in Spain in 1593. But it would take hundreds of years for most of the world to catch up. So to keep it simple, we're just going to focus right now on what happened in the United States. Because the basics of that story are more or less reflected in many other countries. So, okay. Back in colonial times, when the country's economy was largely agricultural, the workday was pretty much what you made of it. Most people worked for themselves, so they decided when they were going to work. Or if you didn't work for yourself, you were part of a family group, and so your dad told you when you were going to work. But before you go romanticizing these more wholesome times, let's be clear, this didn't mean people had beautiful work-life balances. They wouldn't have even understood that concept. The norm was that people worked almost from sunup to sundown. By the late 1700s, however, there was an increase in what economists call wage labor. You know, people working jobs, like at a shipyard instead of working land. And the hours were long. The default setting at first was that, well, yeah, you're going to work about as much on this job as you would if you were working on a farm, if you were a hired hand. The estimates are that in the 1800s, a little bit before the Civil War, the average length of the work week in the U.S. was about 69 hours. That means working around 11 and a half hours a day, Monday through Saturday, and Sundays were for church. Clearly, this is not exactly... So how'd we get there? Well, okay, let's be clear to start. 
people in the 1700s did not enjoy working 69-hour weeks. In fact, as far back as 1791, carpenters in Philadelphia were going on strike to demand a 10-hour day. But starting in the middle of the 1800s, worker hours slowly dropped. And at first, it wasn't because of any particular law or organized labor movement. Instead, it was because of two things. First, companies were competing for the most talented labor, and one of the ways to compete was to offer shorter workdays. And then technology made work more efficient, which meant that workers were more productive. And in a competitive economy, the more productive you are, the higher you're going to get paid. So a kind of bargain began where workers were thinking, do I want to be paid in money or do I want to trade in some of that extra money I could earn for more time off? And increasingly, they picked more time off. Hours became shorter. Now, again, let me be clear. The history of labor in the U.S. is long and complex and full of protests and movements and wins and losses, and it is impossible to reflect them all here. So instead, I'm just going to proceed by picking a few big moments that shaped the work week as we know it. The first is actually another technological innovation, electricity replacing steam power in factories. Because when you have steam power, it's all on the premises. The company has to buy all that equipment and they want to run it as much as they can. But when you have electric power, the electric company has the equipment and you just pay by, you know, by the, the meter. And so you don't need to run the, the electric company's equipment full time like you needed to run. You wanted to run your own steam equipment full time which means workers don't need to be polling the same hours. Next, we have World War One, which tightened the labor market for two reasons. Number one, many workers were going off to fight. And then number two, immigration from Europe had rapidly declined. And that meant that America was not adding to its workforce. That increased demand and decreased supply puts the workers in a really good bargaining position. They got much higher wages. And once again, workers basically said, you know what, I'll take some of that additional pay in the form of time off. And that's when about, we got to the point where about half the workers had an eight-hour day, although it was a, still a six-day work week. Then, over the course of the next decade or so, workers kept demanding and getting even more. First, they went to like a half-day Saturday, and then they went to a full-day Saturday. It made sense it was going to be next to Sunday, so you get to kind of have the two days together. And then, as Daniel Craig would say on Saturday Night Live, Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. <laughs> Now we have our five-day work week and a new thing called the weekend. Another big movement came during the Great Depression when companies were short on cash and trying to figure out what to do about their workforce. Many decided that instead of laying off half their workers, for example, they would just cut everyone's time in half. So at least workers had something. Congress came close to passing some legislation that would have set a maximum work week in many of the sectors of the economy at 30 hours. Um, that didn't pass, and I think one of the fears was that if we put that in place, we'll never see the length of the work week go back up above 30 hours after the Depression's over, and it can't, can't last forever. That 30-hour law eventually morphed into something known as the Fair Labor Standards Act. Which then required for many jobs time and a half pay for overtime, where the overtime would normally kick in at 40 hours, rather than mandating that 30-hour short work week. And a version of that was signed into law in 1938. So, in short, why do we work five days a week? Because we used to work nonstop, and then we began the very slow process of adjusting the workday based on the shifting needs of our economy and the shifting dynamics between employer and the employed. But flash forward to our modern times when Claudine was overworked at her job. And just used to get frustrated at the fact there was only 24 hours in a day. And she started to wonder why we still work the way that we do. 
And at that point, the honest and truthful answer was that we work five days a week because despite a century's worth of improved technology and efficiency and evolved understanding of people's physical and mental needs, we simply have not returned to the question and updated the answer, which means that there's no good reason she can't update the answer herself. So now, as you'll remember, Claudine vowed that if she ever started a company, she'd create a four-day work week for her employees. Then, in 2018, she did start a company called Career Ear. It began as a personal side hustle, and it took a while to figure out exactly how to scale up, bring people on, and offer them this great work-life balance. But now, she is full-time at Career Ear, as are a handful of employees that she's hired, and she's set about navigating a lot of early hurdles. For example, Career Ear is based in the UK, and it turns out that offering people a four-day work week is legally complicated because of how the government defines a full-time worker. So our employment contracts are still full-time Monday to Friday. It keeps things so much more simple (laughs) in terms of tax and recognition of you as a full-time worker and so on. And then we just have an internal policy that everyone, I guess, trusts us to to continue to abide by, which is then dictating the the four-day work week. And from a practical standpoint, what this means is that she has less access to her employees than companies who have five-day work weeks. People are suddenly a scarce resource, which has forced her to think carefully and creatively about how best to use that resource. It is something that means that we have to kind of constantly think about, is this a good use of someone's time? We don't have many meetings because meetings take up a lot of time. Um, And so we do a lot of kind of asynchronous working using collaborative tools so that we're not kind of spending hours and hours in meetings when people actually could just be getting work done. Claudine says it has not been easy. It's required sacrifice. I mean, startups are known for setting super ambitious goals and then having their staff pull all-nighters to meet them, and Career cannot drive its team in that same way. But also, maybe that's not so bad. It just forces Claudine to set more realistic goals, she says. And also, the upsides are huge. Her employees are happy and productive, and they don't waste a lot of time. And when she's looking to hire... I've lost count of the number of interviews where people have explicitly said... The four-day work week was a major attraction to them. The four-day work week is a competitive advantage. So now I wondered, as Claudine is offering her team this wonderful work-life balance, are you able to work on a four-day, or you're you're the you're the founder, you're not able to do this? I don't work a four-day work week. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I do do is I try and work a four-day work week in terms of working in the business and use my other day to work on the business. So that's kind of my day for strategic thinking. On the days when everyone is off, Claudine wakes up early, goes for a swim, and then gets down to business with no calls or emails or Slack messages to interrupt her. She even takes a nice walk in the afternoon, which she wouldn't otherwise have the time to do. So yeah, she's not quite working a four-day work week, but that was never her point anyway. It was about doing things better. And that, she's doing. But okay, like I said earlier, I'm fascinated by the four-day work week because it's an example of how we can question things that seem unquestionable. And in this case, Claudine is an interesting example, but certainly not a perfect one because, you know, her company is really small and it also started by operating this way. But what about everyone else? What about companies that are larger and were built to operate on five-day work weeks? What does this change look like for them? And what would it take for the rest of us to get to a four-day work week too? That is what we're going to explore next coming up after the break. Podcasts inside of podcasts. That's what's going on at this episode. I know you are a problem solvers listener, but I am playing for you this episode of Build for Tomorrow. And I want to just tell you a little bit more about Build for Tomorrow, the podcast. 
Built for Tomorrow, the podcast is a show about the smartest solutions to our most misunderstood problems. Because here's the thing, we often think we understand the thing that sometimes we're worried about or arguing about or grappling with, but we don't. And so I want to go back to the beginning, as you hear in this very episode, where I talk to historians to understand the context of the thing that we're talking about. And then I call the smartest people, the most engaged people, to understand what they're doing to fix and to better whatever it is that we are all worried about. Yes, talked about the four-day work week, but we talk about so many other things too. The climate problem we can all solve, why people can't write and how to fix that, how to make politics smarter. I even have an episode recently about the case for sex robots. Yes, sex robots. They actually are pretty exciting and for reasons that have nothing to do with sex. Also, we talk about science, the science of changing your brain and why that's not so scary, the science of boredom and why, you know what, maybe we shouldn't be lionizing boredom and the reason to talk to strangers. There is so much more, lots of different ways in which you can think smarter about the things that maybe everyone is so focused on but doesn't quite understand. You can find Build for Tomorrow wherever you find podcasts, including the one you're listening to right now. All right, we're back. So if the four-day work week is an example of what big change looks like, then, well, what does it look like to make that big change? To answer that, let's start here. We tend to get a lot of teammates who will see something in the in the news or in like some innovative company doing something and they kind of drop it in the Slack water cooler channel and say, look, isn't this interesting? This, as you might remember, is Nicole Miller, head of people at Buffer. She's the one you heard at the beginning of the episode with a rooster crowing behind her. Back in 2019, someone at Buffer had seen the news about that Microsoft Japan experiment and it prompted a conversation about whether they could try it too. We gave it a sort of really half-hearted go in August of 2019, where it was more of a like half day off on Friday during the summer month of August. And so it was right. sort of a like... Class- classic summer hours. Yes. Yeah. Summer hours. Like, it'll be fine. And we didn't really define what we wanted out of it. And so it didn't really like do much for us. And we we're like, okay, that was done. That was nice. We did it. We're done. <laughs> um, Then the pandemic began, and like everywhere, the team at Buffer was feeling strained and exhausted. So the company ran a survey that basically asked, what do you need? Like, how can the company help you? And the thing we heard again and again was that people wanted work flexibility and more time off. And that is when Buffer started to take the idea of a four-day work week seriously. But, you know, for as much as Buffer wanted to help its employees, it also had a business to run. So it's looking at this idea and thinking, you know, if everyone suddenly gets an extra day off, is productivity going to plummet? Are we not going to be able to meet our goals? So that's why they decided to just treat it as a one-month experiment, where almost everyone in the company would have Wednesday off as a way to break up the week. We also knew that once you introduce a benefit, that it's hard to take it away. And so we were very clear that, like, this was a very temporary experiment and that it wasn't going to be permanent. Buffer set up a sophisticated set of surveys to monitor the results week by week, looking at people's stress levels, productivity, and more. And the results were surprisingly good. People were happier. They were basically getting the same amount of work done. Some even did more work, which made me wonder what stopped happening? What were people mm-hmm. doing less of so that yeah. they were doing more work? Do you know? Yeah. What we, we did see and what we're actually trying to really deal with now is people stopped kind of doing some of the more uh, 
socialization. Um, people stop spending as much time in Slack, kind of hanging out. Less of that filler time that kind of allows for like teammate bonding and things like that. Which didn't really matter during the early months of the pandemic when many people were at home juggling kids or helping family or whatever. Meanwhile, people were loving the extra time off and the experiment just kept being extended until it basically became permanent. But now, Buffer is having to confront what that lack of socialization really means. What we really saw at the end of 2021, after about a year of this, was that people are feeling very disengaged from one another. And so I think that that was a bit of an unforeseen consequence that we're trying to figure out now. How do you balance having people really focused on work while having some amount of teammate socialization in a remote environment with a four-day work week, because that's a tall order. Is that a problem? Yes. Is it forcing Buffer to reconsider the four-day work week? No. When we try to solve a problem, we often create other problems. It's just the nature of problem solving because, you know, no solution ever solves every problem. Change the balance here and it creates an imbalance there. I I wish I could remember who said this, but I once heard someone very smart say that when we're trying to evaluate whether something is working, we can't ask if it solves the problem. Rather, we must ask, is our new problem better than our old problem? That gives us a more realistic lens to look through, and it means that we won't just go discard something because not every outcome of it is perfect. And that's basically how Nicole sees this situation too. The four-day work week isn't as simple to implement as it might have seemed because productivity is not the only measure of a sustainable company. It's why she and her team are now exploring smaller initiatives and events to bring teams together without adding too much to their workload. They want to see if they can create that sense of togetherness while still enabling everyone to work their four-day weeks. And they've had to tweak some other things too. As I said, they started by giving everyone Wednesdays off, but discovered that it made the work week too discordant, and it also made it really hard for people in different time zones to connect in the middle of the week. So now everyone has Fridays off, with a few exceptions. For example, their customer support team has to stagger their off days so there's never a gap in service. And employees also have the option of working five shorter days instead of four full days. The experiment continues. But overall, Nicole says, people consider it a success. They use that extra time for side projects or for more family time or to take care of the farm animals or whatever. It isn't just a work perk anymore. It's a lifestyle. Could you imagine now that you have a four-day work week ever going back to Mm. a more traditional workload? Yeah, such a good question. Um, I mean, I think it would take a lot, (laughs) you know, like it would take... It would take a lot to really make up for that. And I've heard this from another teammate too, who, I mean, he told me it would take another $100,000 of a salary offer on top of that to make up for that fifth day. Turns out that kind of response is pretty common. Remember Brianne Kimmel, the investor from the start of the show? Once she started researching the issue more, her skepticism about the four-day work week started to vanish. The early research that's coming back is suggesting that it allows those people to show up as their full self at work. Like when we promote a life outside of the office, when you're in the office, you're more productive, you're more focused, you're more excited to talk to your colleagues because they have stories to tell and, you know, they're doing interesting things outside of work. Then she ticked off all sorts of people who benefit. Caregivers and parents have more time for themselves or to get caught up around the house. People earlier in their career have more time to develop skills or connect in communities of like-minded people. Creatives have more time to recharge. She sees a lot of people joining co-working spaces and developing relationships with all sorts of interesting people, which expands their minds and networks. And all of this really matters to people, so much so that many of them are deciding where to work 
based on it. I talked to a number of people that have left very well-paying jobs to go work on something that's less time-consuming and to be at a company that's really supportive of their work-life balance and their overall health and well-being. But of course, this doesn't mean we'll start to see the four-day work week everywhere. Brianne, for example, says she's seeing a big shift at medium to large size tech companies, which of course can be pretty different from most other companies. So what does it take to actually create a culture where a four-day work week is possible? Well, it's early days, of course, but I think this guy is onto something. My name is Justin Mitchell. I'm the CEO and founder of Yak. And you can think of Justin as the evangelist in this story because his entire business is about getting people to rethink how they work. We are an asynchronous meetings platform for teams. Our product exists to get you out of endless video calls all day long and still keep yourself communicating with your teams over voice and video. This is an important starting place because, as you've already heard, meetings are a big difference maker in the four-day work week. When I asked Claudine and Nicole how people get five days worth of work done in four days, they both said the answer is, in part, getting rid of a lot of meetings. So maybe just before we rethink how we work, we need to rethink all the meetings that consume our time. Because Justin says, look, meetings are not always the tool of productivity. I mean, I think part of it comes from fear. Typically, we see a lot of meetings come out of fear, and then we see that butts and seat mentality come out of fear and it, almost a lack of trust. If you as a manager or a founder or a you know executive can figure out what's causing that fear and then solve that, you start to realize like, okay, I was doing a lot because I was afraid we weren't on the same page, afraid somebody wasn't working, afraid that I was paying somebody for a job they weren't doing. But what happens when you're not afraid? What happens when you build a culture of trust? Well, suddenly you're able to try something that might seem radical. Now, to be clear, Yak is still a small company. When Justin and I spoke, it only had 12 employees who were spread around the globe. And they're all unique people. Justin very consciously only recruits people who are self-starters, and then he lets them work in a way that's most efficient for them. I think it would surprise you how eclectic the different working styles of everyone at a company can be because you've never opened it up and said, work however you want to work. Some people are best in three-hour sprints. Someone's too groggy before 11 a.m. Someone else works amazingly after 10 p.m. On and on and on. Right now, at most companies, these people, all these different kind of workers, are forced to work the same hours, which means, Justin says, their employer isn't getting the best of them. But when Justin tries to sell potential clients on an idea like this and how his asynchronous meeting platform can help, he sometimes gets pushback that sounds like this. Somebody told me like, yeah, I just don't see the use for this product because I, I just have my team on Zoom all day long. I'm like, you have your team on Zoom all day long? Like, is this an Orwellian police state? Like, that is, that's crazy. He's like, well, it's the only way that I know that they're working. And I'm like, okay, all right. So if that's the only way you know they're working, you're measuring things wrong. Right. Like you're measuring input, not output, which is to say, start measuring the work that people produce rather than the hours that they spend doing that work. Only one of those things really matters. Anyway, as you might imagine, Yak has a four day work week policy, though technically speaking, Justin just tells his team to work 32 hour weeks, which is the equivalent of four days a week. And they can distribute those hours however they'd like. Also, if they get their work done in less time, no problem. 
take more time off. I asked Justin if he thinks this is really scalable. After all, like I said, Yak only has 12 people. What happens when he has 120 or 1,200? And he said he's been thinking about this a lot because he is starting to hire more and is thinking about what infrastructure his company is going to need to make this work at scale. I started to kind of flatten the management structure and get away from as much as possible, like senior titles and heads of and leads, especially at the scale that we're at, to avoid this idea of like, I need to inform this specific person and this specific person may be able to dictate if I'm able to take off or not take off. But that's just the start. I think the biggest thing is that at scale, you need more processes. HR bots and statuses in Slack to say like, hey, I'm going away for a little bit. But another thing that I think starts to really work well at scale is getting rid of Slack, right? If you can get rid of this mentality of the green bubble and the typing indicator, and I just sent you a message, I, I expect a reply back, and you start moving into an asynchronous environment, nobody would even know you're gone. That's, that's sort of the beauty of asynchronous is you could leave for an hour and no one have any clue that you're not at your desk and you're off getting lunch and enjoying you know, some quiet time for a second. So the, the thing that we're trying to push companies into as they get into scale is as you start to default to that calm, it can wait mentality, async communication first, you actually get out of the process of having to worry about, do I know where everyone is at? And you just start having that trust of like, they're getting it done. Now, this starts to bleed into like performance reviews and just making sure that like on a regular basis, you're checking in with people and saying, do you feel like you have enough time to get your tasks done? Do you feel like you have enough support to get your work done? You know, hey, we've noticed some of your tasks were slipping. Is that because you don't have enough support or because you're not working hard enough? Whatever that might be. One of the things that comes up a lot in this four day work week conversation is people working too hard because all Fridays were off and they have something due on Monday. And mm. now they're like working a double shift on Thursday because it actually caused more stress in their life that they've been told that Friday is off. And then a lot of times just working Friday anyway, because they, they didn't have enough time in their week, right? The allocation was set up as a 40 hour week. And now they feel like they've actually been cursed with the with removal of time. And then the, the reverse of that, obviously, which is that, well, we don't have enough time in the week. And now stuff is not getting done. So it's like, either there's a productivity issue, because there's not enough time, or there's a stress issue, and they're overworking, because they feel like they were stolen time. And so once you kind of change at a structural level, this idea of having deadlines based around 40 hour weeks, having communication based on you replying very quickly, like it does take a massive transformational change to say, part of our work culture is it can wait, which translates to now it doesn't matter if you're off by an hour or a day or whatever, because we have set up our schedules in such a way that we're not constantly at razor's edge on delivery deadlines. Now, here's what that long answer makes me think of. The other day, I was telling a CEO about the research I'd done for this episode, and the CEO said to me, I wish I could work a four-day work week. And I was like, uh, you're the boss. Wave your magic wand and make it happen. And the CEO said, no, no, I can't do that. And you know what? The CEO is right. If you don't think you can do it, then you can't. But that right there, I think, is the gap between what's possible and what's not possible. I mean, consider that long prescription you just heard from Justin. It can be summarized like this. The four-day work week is a shift in something fundamental, and adopting it requires other fundamental shifts. It's like trying to deadlift 200 pounds in the gym. Can you just walk in there for the first time and do that? No, 
You can't. Does that mean it's impossible? No. It's a question of whether you're willing to put in the work. Start eating better, training, adjusting your routine. Take the challenge seriously. You do a lot of things that don't seem to have anything to do with deadlifting 200 pounds, but then sure enough, one day you are hoisting that damn thing off the ground. At the beginning of this episode, I said that the four-hour work week was interesting because it's an example of what it looks like to question something fundamental, and I really do think we have our answer, or at least the very beginning of a good answer. And here it is. Big things are indeed changeable, but they require more change. They require a commitment to solve one problem and then solve the problem that the solution creates and then solve the next problem too. I happen to think it's worth it. In fact, I think the winners of the future will be the ones that today are willing to put in that work and make the harder changes before others are forced to. Because there's really no good reason that we work five days a week anymore. There's no good reason we work nine to five. These are old ideas dating to different needs that are not our own. And if you're ever holding tight to old ideas just because they're comfortable, then get ready for the rug to be pulled out from under you because that is what your competition will do. They'll do it on Monday and Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday, and they'll have done such a good damn job of it that they'll take Friday off. And that's our episode. But hey, some super interesting news broke while I was working on this episode. California began considering mandating a four-day work week. How would that work? I'll tell you about it in a minute. But first, if you love Build for Tomorrow, the podcast, then you will definitely love Build for Tomorrow, the book. It is an action plan for how to embrace change, adapt fast, and future-proof your career. And it combines lessons from this podcast with what I have learned from the smartest entrepreneurs of today. It comes out in September, but you can pre-order your copy now and let me know if you do so I can thank you personally. You can find it wherever you get books or by going to jasonpfeiffer.com slash book. And also, if you want even more advice and encouragement on how to adapt fast, sign up for my newsletter. Find it by going to jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. You can also get in touch with me directly at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com, or follow me on Twitter or Instagram. I am at Hey Pfeiffer. This episode was reported and written by me, Jason Pfeiffer, with additional reporting by Britta Lochting, sound editing by Alec Bayliss. Our theme music is by Casper Babypants. Learn more at babypantsmusic.com. And thanks to Adam Sokolich for production help. This show is supported in part by the Stand Together Trust. The Stand Together Trust believes that advances in technology have transformed society for the better and is looking to support scholars, policy experts, and other projects and creators who focus on embracing innovation, creating a society that fosters innovation, and encouraging people to engineer the next great idea. If that's you, then get in touch with them. Proposals for projects in law, economics, history, political science, and philosophy are encouraged. To learn about their partnership criteria, visit standtogethertrust.org. All right. Now, as promised, let's talk briefly about whether the four-day workweek could ever become law in the U.S. A few lawmakers in California have co-sponsored a bill that would make the state's official workweek 32 hours, and companies with 500 or more employees would then have to pay time and a half for anyone working beyond that. CBS News interviewed one of the sponsors of this bill, an assembly member named Christina Garcia, and here is a bit of that interview. What is your response to those who think, you know, this bill might be good in theory, but not reality. Does it just mean doing the same amount of work in less time? Does it mean increased costs on the tail end of all of this? What's your response to that? No, we are not trying to make you jam more work into less hours. We're trying to create a better balance and make sure that you have a better uh, emotional and mental and physical health. And so that doesn't make sense uh, out there. The reality is that we could we could dismiss this. We could ignore this. It's happening in lots of places. Employees are demanding change. And if companies do not adapt, they're going to have a hard time attracting that talent 
that they need to be successful. First of all, uh, that's an argument about market forces, isn't it? Like, okay, if companies will have a hard time being successful without making this change, then maybe you don't need a law to create the shift. But mm, that aside, I found it interesting to hear this assembly member's argument after spending so much time talking to people who had actually implemented a four-day work week at their company. Because the thing is, people doing it are a lot more clear-eyed about its difficulties. Like, when I talked to Claudine of Career Ear, I asked her what advice she'd have for others who want to follow the same path. There are going to be some businesses where it's not as good a fit or not as easy to execute. I think if I was doing it again, I would take some time out to kind of think, okay, what does that four-day work week look like for people? How is that actually going to work? How does that impact the headcount that I might need to deliver on um, my objectives? How am I going to make sure that we're not losing anything by losing an additional work day so that it's not just a yeah, a thing that you say and people kind of come to you for, but something that you kind of live and breathe and that it really works um, and, and builds a positive working environment. The four-day work week is a serious idea, but if we're going to make it work, we have to treat it seriously. And I have to say, Claudine's answer is a lot more serious than the California politician's answer is. People often point to Iceland as evidence that a country can implement this change, but go take a look at what they did. The government there did it totally differently. They organized a multi-year trial, experimenting with a portion of the federal workforce and in partnership with many trade unions in the country. And that way they could learn, adjust, and when it was shown to be a success, many companies in the country just voluntarily made the switch on their own. Now the majority of citizens in Iceland work a four-day work week. If we want to change work, we need to approach it realistically because change doesn't happen in four days. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, and let's keep building for tomorrow. <laughs>